We're in the second week of a series called You Asked For It. So, in case you're not tracking with the sermon title, the series title, Who Asked For It? You Asked For It. That's right. So, last week we talked about stress. The first thing that you guys wanted to hear about uh, in, uh, so I should back up and say that on Easter, this past Easter, we took a survey. Uh, we passed out a survey and just asked everybody who is here because it's typically really well attended. And so we get the most uh, surveys out of that day. And so we passed out a survey and just asked you the question, what do you want to hear about? We put a big list of things and then we left a blank for other and uh, it was really great because for the most part, you all wanted to hear about the same stuff. And uh, stress was, was the one that we got the most of. And by stress, like that encompassed like three or four things on the list. And uh, just like anxiety or uh, all those things. And so last week we talked about stress. We talked about uh, how the two greatest stressors in our life are time and money, but that it moves out of that into other areas of our life. And so you can catch that on the podcast if you want uh, or on the website and there's lots of stuff. But coming out of that, uh, one of the other things, one of the other five or six topics that you guys asked for was to talk about money. Yay! We're going to talk about money today. Come on, let's get excited in church today. <laughs> you know, normally that's like a really like, oh, here we go again. The church is going to talk about money. But today I want to challenge you uh, and I also want to encourage you. I also want to talk about the fact that uh, finances and money and everything related to money in the church is often uh, a really sticky subject and it doesn't have to be. It just doesn't have to be. And so what I want to do is challenge you. Uh, we're not going to pass an offering plate after this. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not in the market for a jet or anything like that that you might have read about online um, with different places. And, and frankly, I'm not even going to tell you what percentage of money you need to give to the church. I'm not going to do any of that. In fact, I went so far as to print out two articles for you if you want to read them. Uh, the same website put these articles out and I thought it was appropriate and great because, listen, you should be every day of your life opening up this book and devouring it, right? You, you would not skip breakfast, lunch or dinner unless you're in inter intermittent fasting. We'll pray for you. All right. And uh, maybe you can teach me a thing or two about that. But uh, maybe. No promises. But uh, I like my meals, right? We like our meals. And, you know, we, we, we shouldn't skip our spiritual meals either. Because God addresses all the things that you need to be addressed in His Word. Right? Right? And so, one of the things that I, that I printed these out for, and I can also email them to you. I'm just making a point, okay? That I want you to have these available to you. And I'm going to leave them up here on the front. Because I want you to be able to do this because... The one, the one article says the Bible commands Christians to tithe. The other article says seven, reason, seven reasons Christians are not required to tithe. Okay? And so what I'm telling you is I'm not going to tell you what you should give to God or give to others or anything. I'm going to tell you you should be a generous person. That God, to whom much is given, God says, much is required. God says, I love a cheerful giver. And so I want to I walk you through that 
uh, this morning and talk about money openly with you. But I, I want to just say that when it comes to what you should give to God, and we're going to cover this, uh, you need to determine between you and the Lord what that looks like. Okay? And I'm going to walk you through some scripture to show you where the principles come from and, and how that looks. And, uh, but, but the bottom line is generosity. And you've been a generous people. And so uh, we just want to walk through those principles. But I did want to just like laugh with you about that and just say that these are going to be on the front row and you should grab them and read them. Okay. And uh, and it'll it'll be great. It'll be enlightening for for all of us. Right. And and then you, if you're married, you guys should decide together. You know, Camden and I have decided what we are going to do for the Lord, for his work here, for his work outside of these walls. But I want you to know that my family, like, we're committed to that. We're committed to bringing uh, our first here. And then we're committed to partnering with people elsewhere. We do both. And I I believe that God has called my family to be a generous family. And I believe he's called Redeemer City Church to be a generous family. And so some of that goes to what we do here. We believe this is a lighthouse in this community and it's the place that we gather. But I want you to know that if this place burns down tonight, we'll be right out there on the lawn in front of Armature Works and we're going to have church and there's not going to be any lights and it's going to be hot and I'll have my sunglasses on and it's going to be fine. All right. So what I'm not saying to you is any of this needs to be here for us to do church because it doesn't. It doesn't. And I don't want you to hear me say that. However, we do have this space. And we do have this body and we do have an amazing group in our church back there that we get to serve really, really well. And Amber does an incredible job. And so uh, all of that uh, is part of what we do to be a lighthouse to this community. And so uh, two things I'm not saying. I'm not saying we need any of this. And I'm also not saying we don't want any of this. All right, because these are all tools that God has given us uh, to be a lighthouse in his community. And we're going to draw different conclusions on what all of those things are. Okay, and so uh, maturity wise, like I want you to think through that and I want you to process that. Uh, But what I want to do is back up from that. And I want to talk about uh, alignment, right? I want to talk about alignment in your life. I want to talk about alignment in my life. When I was uh, living in Clearwater, which was, I was on staff at a great church over there, Skycrest Community Church, and that was in, in Clearwater, and uh, I spent seven years there, and they were great. And while I was there, I told you last week that I had this problem with buying cars. Do you remember this? All right? Don't laugh so hard. That was a little aggressive. And uh, so one of those times where I was switching cars frequently and uh, uh, not using my wife's judgment on my finances... Um, was I got a Jeep Wrangler, right? And of course, I, it needed to be lifted up and it needed bigger tires and, you know, right? Like like guy stuff, right? Like I had to do that. So, But of course, because I was trying to feign uh, this good financial wisdom to my wife and why this was all a good idea, um, I said, I'll do the work myself. I'll, I'll have your dad like oversee it and make sure that I don't do anything real stupid like drop the car, drop the Jeep on myself or something. And that's fine. So like, you know, we, we did like a lot of the work ourselves. Well, when you do some of those things, uh, as you modify the way a vehicle is, uh, there are ulterior things that you must consider. 
Like if you lift the suspension, not just the suspension lifts, right? There's a lot of other stuff that suddenly is now not in the right place. And if you don't account for that, you can have big problems, as I found out. So we, we like lifted it up. I, you know, I ordered the parts online. I read all the blogs. I did what you're supposed to do. And we, we lift my car up and uh, just started driving the Jeep. It was awesome. I was, you know, just, just, you know, hanging out, like got the doors off, like check it out. I didn't have my cool tat then. So, you know, it wasn't quite as cool as it could have been. But I was just driving around. And then one day, it was like 8 p.m., and I was on US 19 over in Clearwater. I don't know if you've been there. They put all these like big like things over there to alleviate traffic, and they're just rerouting it to other parts of the, of the city. It's awful. Um, but I was going up the hill on one of them, and suddenly I couldn't steer. I'm thinking to myself, well, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good at all. I couldn't steer. And then it was just like it was getting worse and worse, and then all of a sudden I was like, and the steering wheel just, woo, and nothing. I had no steering. And so the first thing in my head is like, okay, I've lost power steering. No, no, no. Like, I lost steering. Like, there was no steering at all whatsoever. And so I'm just barreling down. I must have been going 60 miles an hour in a lifted Jeep that I had done. So I'm thinking, I mean, nobody even knows what's wrong with the thing now. Like, I did it, right? And so, uh, long story short, the wheels start going like this, and... I careen into the right and I slam against the wall, right? I have just gone up over a hill and I'm just on the backside of a hill. And so cars are coming 65 miles an hour over, blaring their horn at me, swerving, missing, all because what? My alignment was off. In fact, it wasn't just off, it was gone, right? Because one of the things that I didn't pay attention to was in old Jeeps like that, the steering shaft moves in and out. Well, when you lift the suspension, you need it to move out. But, of course, because I was being financially wise, I bought an old Jeep. You know what old Jeeps are? All their parts are stuck in place, right? And so that never released itself. So, of course, I took it to a real shop and they fixed the real problem and, I, and, and it, was, it was fine. But my point is, is that when I was working on that car, I didn't take into account all the areas of what needed to be done in my life. And I think when it comes to the direction of your life, one of the things we must consider is every area of our life. Because when God is first in every area of your life, everything else comes into alignment. And, and let me put up a quote from Jesus. I didn't even put the, the, the reference here, but throw that, throw that quote up there for me. Um, because here's what Jesus said. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Just leave that quote up there for a minute. Think about that. What I'm about to talk to you about is not a prosperity thing. What we're talking about with money is not a prosperity thing. And we as a church are working really hard to figure out how to give more and more of the money you give here away from here. It's, it's a core value. We, we want to keep working towards that. Managing well what we use here, but then 
continuing to work that number higher of what we can give away. But listen, Jesus said, in this world, you are going to have trouble. You might be thinking now, Pastor, we're at church. Can you be a little more positive than that? I can try. I am positive in this world you will have trouble. Are you tracking with me? And, and let's just point out the obvious. Some of you are here today and, and you, financially you don't have money. And I get that. And so what I'm not telling you to do is figure out how to get money to give it to the church. I'm not saying that at all. I'm fully aware that there are some of you who don't bring an income in. And that's fine. This principle still applies to your life. It's just going to look different. But there are many of us in this room who we have been blessed financially. We have been blessed. And and God has given us what we have. And it's on us to steward that and manage that the way that He would want us to. And from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, uh, these principles are in place. And they're there for our freedom. They're there for our freedom. Because in this life you're going to have trouble. Jesus made it really, really clear. And all of us have different idols in our life. For some of you it's going to be money. Money's one of the most prevalent idols. But for others, it's going to be something else. You know, some of you no doubt, like you give generously and it's not a problem. It's no big deal. But when I think about generosity, I think about God the Father, right? When He sent Jesus into this world, think about that. The God of the universe, Jesus Christ, stepped into the world and made Himself nothing. He took on the form of a servant, Philippians 2 tells us. It says He emptied Himself of that power voluntarily. And I would say it's never wrong according to Scripture, for us to lay down our life for somebody else. And so it's not a prosperity thing. But, but I do want to say that if God has given you resources, it is a blessing thing. It is a blessing thing. Because Scripture is clear that to whom much is given, much is required. And so I want to talk about the principle behind all that, that, that began in Genesis 4, and went into Exodus and has been there for, through it all. And we're going we're gonna to land in, in Corinthians and, and look at a few different things. But, but the principle behind that is simply this. It's putting God first. It's putting God first. Right? Jesus said it eloquently when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things will be added to you. It's all over the Bible. Maybe one of the most explicit places we see it is in Exodus 13. And God's going to be talking to Moses. And uh, he's going to talk about this idea of consecrating uh, the first. Alright, so, so let, me just, let me do a little teaching here and walk through some of this uh, with, with Scripture. So Exodus chapter 13, let's look at verse 1 and 2 and then 12 and 13. Here, here's what the Bible says. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me... All the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then verse 12, you shall set apart to the Lord 
all the first that opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So in other words, Moses, if you're, if you're not going to give the first back to God, you're still going to lose it. That's the cliff notes on that. We'll talk more about that later, but, but he, he's saying, give me the first and the rest will be blessed. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Redeem every donkey with a lamb. Smells like something else we've heard of, doesn't it? So stay with me. Number one, if you're taking notes, and there's some blanks there, um, I want you to write this down. The firstborn must be sacrificed or redeemed. Donkeys are unclean. Lambs are clean. Okay, just, just track with me. This is a really important principle because it's, it's biblical. All right? A clean animal has to be sacrificed and an unclean animal has to be redeemed with the sacrifice of a clean animal. Okay, let me say that again because it's incredibly important even for you as a follower of Jesus to have this particular thing straight. A clean animal has to be sacrificed and an unclean animal has to be Redeemed with the sacrifice of that clean animal. Question. Spiritually speaking, were you and I born clean or unclean? Go ahead, class. We were unclean. We are unless we've been redeemed, right? We're all born with a liking towards sin, don't we? I mean, every single one of us. I mean, just this morning, I was, bo- I was bent towards sin. Last night, bent towards sin. And, and apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from Christ working in me, I'm always going to choose my sin. Every time. We're bent that way. We're born that way. I can prove it to you from, there's a few experts in the room. How many of you have kids? <laughs> Raise your hand. I'm serious. You're experts. How many of you have ever been around kids? <laughs> like, like, did we have to teach our kids how to do wrong? No. What do you have to teach them to do? Right. Be good. Right. Like we don't have to even think about that. The clean had to be sacrificed so the clean unclean can be redeemed. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. God gave his first so that we could be redeemed. We have a generous God. The sacrifice of one has redeemed the many. Think about that. The sacrifice of the one has redeemed the many. It pains me even when we talk about money that that's become such a negative thing in the church. And there's a gazillion reasons for that. And we've even made some of those mistakes. So this isn't perfection, right? We all do. And and we don't need to uh, gloss over that fact that we're imperfect people. But we do have a perfect God. And, and God goes first in that giving. God goes first in that generosity. And it's an amazing thing. And in a sense, Jesus was uh, God's gift, His giving, His generosity to the church. What a powerful thing that God gave. Right? It says, greater love has no one than this than He lay down His life for His friend. 
The first is the redemptive portion. God didn't say, Moses, when you, when you have ten lambs, send one my way. That's not what he said, right? He said, before you have any other lambs, he says, Moses, before you do anything else, give me the first. Give me the first. Well, let's wait till it's an ugly one, Jesus. Like, come on. No, he says, give me the first. The first is the redemptive portion. It's not the one that, yeah, well, that one keeps eating all my plants, so I'm going to give you that lamb. No, that doesn't take faith, does it? What takes faith? Giving the first one before you know what the rest are. Give the first. Even tithing was built on this principle. It doesn't take faith to give the last of your income, to get everything done you want to get done, and then say, all right, God, what do I got, what do I got left to work with? Here's 20 bucks. Right? Like, that's not, that's not faith. Right? Because the, this principle of putting God first affects your finances too. And it's important for us to remember that whatever God's given us isn't ours in the first place. It's his and we are there to manage what is his. And so even after we give to God, we're still responsible for how we steward the rest. Right? We're, we're still responsible for that. Generosity doesn't even ask the 10% question. Right? There, there was a plan for Old Testament Israel and it involved the 10% tithe. But if, but if you get honest and you dig through that, it's actually more. It's like 20 to 30%. You're like, settle down, pastor. Right? <laughs> but, so, so that's not even the question, right? It's not even the question. It's not that. It's God didn't wait to see if we would straighten up or clean up before he stepped out of the splendors of heaven, did he? No, he, he just, he came and he gave while we were mocking him and spitting on him and Nailing him to a cross. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But don't you love what Jesus said before he went to that cross? He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Right? This is where it comes for, for me and my family. When we begin to think about that, like, what, where is the heart of God? It's with the people of God. It's the ones he died for. It's with his bride, the church. It's not with the building the church meets in. It's not with the programs the church has. It's with the people. It's with the body. And the body may decide collectively to have a building to meet in, and it may not. We may decide to reach out to another country, and it may, we may not. I had dinner last week with, so for those of you who have been at Redeemer for a long time, if you've come in from Arbor, um, we we have supported a missionary in Ethiopia for a number of years now. And I they were in town and I got to have dinner with them last week. And they uh, showed me a picture of this group of 15 Muslim boys that they accepted into their program. And they do rehabilitation and they place them back in their homes. They find their family place them back in their homes. But it's after like this eight to 12 month process of walking through them. And normally there's like some, some attrition. There's, you know, they'll bring in 15 and by the end of it, there's 12 or 10. Well, th- this time, like it was, it was really difficult. And 
part of their thing is they, they teach them the gospel. They walk them through uh, putting God first in your life. And they walk them through all that. And so by the end of it, there was only like six left. So they, they, had, they had lost nine or ten kids. And they were really discouraged. But isn't it just like God? So they, they're just like, listen, we're going to go all in with these five. We're going to do it. And, and it was just last month that after working with these boys for months and months and months and months and months, that all five of those kids, when they were at church one Sunday, gave their lives to Jesus and have since gotten up publicly and declared that to other people. How cool is that? Right? And so, like, you may never step foot in Ethiopia, but you can play a part there. Right? You can play a part there. And so we have those opportunities all around us, right? We're part of the Water's Edge Network. And they, they took me last year to go see two of their church plants in Cambodia and Indonesia that they completely fund, 100%. And it was incredible watching the church in a totally different culture do church. I asked the guy from Cam- Cambodia, I saw him just two weeks ago for a little get-together that the, comp, the network did for network pastors. And they brought these guys in, and it's just because they, they mess us up, man. You spend time with them, and it's like perspective shifting. But talking to them, you know, they, they were just like, I was talking to the guy, he's like, yes, the guy from Canada, he's like, we have, we have three campus now, three campus. I was like, that's great, man, I love that. He's like, one called Mango Campus, because they meet under a mango tree, one called, uh, what do you say, Boat Campus, because they meet down by a bunch of boats. And then they have one campus that looks remarkably similar to this. So he's, he, the point is, is like he's just like, wherever we can take the gospel, we want to take the gospel. And it was incredible. It was incredible. So God's heart is with his people. And whether it's a mango campus or a home campus or... A campus like this, it's just a campus. It's not the people, right? What was his point in sharing that with us? It's about the people. That's an amazing thing. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's interesting, isn't it? Where we spend our money is where our heart tends to be. With the people of Israel in Malachi chapter 1, God says to Israel, test me. It's the only time in the whole Bible, I think, that God says, test me in this. Or that we're given permission to test. He tolerates it from Gideon, right? But that was tolerating. Here we're invited. The people of Israel were invited. Here's what he says. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And, and, if you call right now, We often forget about this promise he gave to Israel. He said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. You see, I say it's not a prosperity thing. It's a blessing thing because the blessing may not come in the form of financial blessing. It's not like if you buy my green hanky and rub it on your face four times a night and then wave it in the air and bless it. God's going to give you millions of dollars, right? You laugh, that stuff is out there. You Google green hanky, green prayer hanky, and you know, you're know you going to get some weird stuff. 
You're welcome. <laughs> Some weird stuff out there, I'm telling you. You should not Google that. I never endorse Googling anything. But here, here's what I'm saying. You need to belong and commit yourself to a local church body that you are confident in giving your first to God. It's biblical. Being set free in your finances will change your life. And I say it's biblical, and we're going to go into the New Testament in just a second here. But as we move into even city groups this fall, we're going to start with what we're calling freedom groups. We want you to be set free. Jesus wants you to be set free. In Luke chapter 4, it's the verse this church was born out of. It's the vision that we saw when Jesus said his own mission statement was to come into the world and set the captive free. Break the chains of those who are in slavery. And we can't ignore the fact that if we look around this country, one of the great places of slavery for us as body of Christ is in our money, in our treasure. We want to be set free. Check this out, what is connected even in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists. We get that. Right? Like, yes. But sometimes we forget the next one. And that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Right? Faith is putting God first in every area of your life, which includes your finances. It does. Not just in what you give here, but just in general, with your neighbors, with the poor and the needy, with everybody, with, with, with your generosity, the attitude of your heart towards people. It's everything. And so the second thing I want you to write down is the first fruit must be offered. That's the principle, right? That the firstborn has to be redeemed and then the first fruit has to be offered. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, Solomon writing to his son, wanting his son to be wise with every part of his life, says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crop. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. What did this wisest guy to ever live think? Honor God with your wealth. You can't outgive God. Back to Exodus and Moses. Exodus 23:19. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Bring it to the people of God. So what do you do? Bring the best and bring it to God. Charitable giving outside the church is called an offering. And it's a wonderful thing. Ken and I, we do a lot of that. And it's really fun. <laughs> it's really fun. It's a wonderful thing. But it's not the first fruit of your increase, right? What, what are we doing with the first fruit? We're proclaiming that God is first. Proclaiming with God is first. And in a second, I'll tell you how you figure that out. Because Paul gives us really clear instructions in his letter to the Corinthians of what that looks like. And so we'll read that in a second. But uh, notice, though, it doesn't talk about giving when it comes to this principle of the first. Right? What does it talk about? You can't give what doesn't belong to you. You can't bring to the owner what belongs to him already. 
And for a lot of us, I think the wrong perspective is what, what shackles us when it comes to this thought of giving in church. Nothing belongs to us. We're stewards of what God has put into our hands. And so I'm even gonna, I'll use the word tithe, but remember, I'm not talking just 10%. I'm talking about bringing our best to God, bringing our first to God with great joy. Because we're just stewards of what He's put into our hands. Even after we do that tithing, we're still responsible for how we manage the rest. I love this picture when God took Israel into the promised land, right? And the first city they go into is Jericho. And God tells them to bring all of the silver and gold into the house of God from Jericho. All of it. All of it. Jericho. Get all of their treasure and bring it into the temple. The house of God. The tabernacle. Bring it all there. Bring it all in. And you're like, man, why did he, why did he say that? Why, why not just 10% and then cash in? Why did he say all of it? Because Jericho was which city? The first city that he went into. The first must be redeemed. And they didn't do it. And what happened in city number two? Anybody? They got whooped, right? (laughs) Right? They got whooped because they didn't bring the first. They didn't honor God with the first. It was the first one they conquered. And of course, if you know the story, God gives them chance and it's the way they roll but this principle is throughout scripture if you bring the first then the rest is blessed don't hear me say more money blessing comes in a lot of forms but the first portion is the redemptive portion and has the ability to bless the rest when you bring it to god the rest is redeemed now there's a temptation to think that this first fruits idea was just part of the levitical law Right? Because that, that's one of the things that's talked about in these articles that are up here on the front. All right, let's go before that in the Bible. Let's go back to the beginning. Right? This isn't a law thing, it's a relationship to God thing. Back to Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve. It's important. All right? She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Verse 2. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. All right? You see the thing that's happening here. Brotherly feud. Listen to this. Now Abel kept flocks. And Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions of some of the what? Firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. And his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Listen to this. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. This was 2,500 years before God gave Moses the law. Tithing, 10%, 20%, definitely under the law. But what I'm talking about is the principle of putting God first. Putting Him first with your kids. Putting Him first with your marriage. Putting Him first with your finances. 
It's all of it. It's all encompassing. It's the idea that God is first. Think about this. God could not accept Cain's offering theologically. Right? Because God never acts outside of his character. Think about this. God cannot change. Amen? God can't change, right? The best can't get better. Does that make sense? The best can't get better. It's called immutability. God can't think like we think, right? We understand that. Does anybody think they can think like God thinks? I'll be available after. We'll talk about that. (laughs) Right? We know that because all-knowing can't know more. True? Right? That's called omniscience. Nothing has ever occurred to God. God's never sitting in the splendors of heaven and going, Oh, man, I totally forgot about that. That never happens to God, right? I think Carl preached a couple weeks ago and talked about losing his keys or something. and uh, Or maybe he just told me that and wouldn't confess that publicly. And I want him to right now. No, I'm just kidding. But right, like that stuff never happens to God. That stuff never happens to God. Nothing ever occurs to God. Why could God not accept Cain's offering? Because God can never be second. Think about that. God can never be Second, this is what the Bible would call his preeminence. God has to be first. It's who he is. He's the king. He's Lord. See, you'll hear me say things like put God first in your life, right? Like that's going to make its way into a lot of sermons, right? Put God first in your life. But here's what I need you to know. Even if you don't, he's still first. You have not rearranged the cosmos and made yourself first. Like you didn't back up into God's place and be like, let me help you out. That didn't happen. God loves you too much to be second. Did you hear me? God loves you too much to be second. God accepts the first. And so number three, I'm going to say the tithe must be first. But again, Hear the distinction. What I'm saying is generosity needs to be first. So if that you feel better about that, go ahead. But it has to be first in our finances because God needs to be first. And it doesn't change, you know, we can go Old Testament or New Testament, right? In the actual tithe under the law, Leviticus 27.30, here's what it says. A tithe of everything from the land, whether from the soil or from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Why would God say bring the first? Do you think God needs your money to work his plan? He can provide manna from heaven and water from a rock. God didn't create tithing for his sake. He created it for Israel's sake. He created generosity for our sake. It helps us to walk in faith when there are things that are outside of our grip of control. It is good for us. It is absolutely good for us. Here's how the Apostle Paul gave it to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. There's a collection. First thing. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Now we're spreading it around the region. This is for all churches. Our church. On the first day of the week, somebody lift up your voice and say Sunday. Or online. (laughs) On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money, what? In keeping with your income. That's planning. That's strategic. That's God first. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. 
What is that? It's tithing. It's setting aside according to your income and planned out and it goes first. Now, it may not be 10%. Let me show you why. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a, listen to this, a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. How do those two go together? In the power of Jesus. Listen to this. Welled up in what? What did severe trial and great joy overflow in? Rich generosity. Not just generosity, rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Listen to this. Entirely on their own. Listen, this, this gets even crazier. Listen to these crazy people. Verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, listen to this, first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us also. They're giving God their first, and they're moving on and saying, Paul, how can we help? They're doing both. They're doing both. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just a chapter later, Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will, re- will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should, listen to this, this is, this is so important. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. You are not hearing from me what you ought to do other than to put God first in your finances. That's what you're hearing from me. I'm not telling you how much to give. I'm not going to check your taxes. I'm not going to check any of that. I don't even know what you give. I can't even check it. So what I'm not saying is do a specific thing other than put God first in your life. Why? Look at this. For God loves a cheerful giver. I love that. Let's bring this home a little bit more and then, and then I'm going to wrap up. Exodus 13. Back to Exodus, right? Um, when you think about this firstborn thing, this killing of the sheep, killing of the lambs, killing of the goats, like all that stuff, like it's hard for us to connect to that. But let, let me bring it home a little more for you. Imagine what a dad's kids were thinking as they're growing up watching their dad slit the throat's of every first animal that one of their animals gives birth to. Think about that. Okay, there's a lot there, right? But think about that. The older they got, the more they would realize what was happening. Every time dad kills an animal, they're going to realize, especially when they're teenagers, you know what I'm saying? Like what the financial culpability of that was. Every time dad sacrifices an animal that could have been sold, maybe the sons are thinking, hey, that could have bought me a PlayStation. <laughs> or the daughters are thinking, well, there goes my prom outfit, slaughtered. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, teenagers were the same back then as they are now. They're just thinking, right? right? And, you know, when I think about my boys, when they grow up and they watch dad write a check to the church or write a check to a missionary or write a check to a, a compassion child or whatever it is that we're doing when Maddox or Malachi 
or Baylor are sitting there like I did with my dad. My parents are here, by the way. Giddy up. Right? I learned this from him. He would sit down with his envelopes, right? Envelope system, man, it works, right? Sit down with his envelopes, and there was one that said tithe. And every week I would watch him open that envelope, take it out, and take it to church and put it in the offering. Why? Because God was first. God was first. And when my kids look at me and they watch the amount of money that we give away, there's going to come a point in their like right now it just blows their mind. Like the number is like like anything over five dollars, they're like whoa. Right? But there's gonna come a point where they recognize that what mom and dad give away to God's people is enough for me to do some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> do some pretty awesome stuff. It's a pretty great car payment, right? And they're gonna look at that and I'm gonna be able to look at them and say God is first in daddy's life. God is first in mommy's life. And regardless of how it gets spent, we bring it because it's our joy to bring it. Why can I say all that? Look, look at Exodus 13, verse 14 and 15. I'm going to have the band come up and we're, we're just going to finish with the time of communion. right? We're not going to take an offering. We're just, we're just going to finish with the time of thinking about Jesus. But listen to this. In days to come, we're back in Exodus, thinking about the slaughtered sheep. When your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. Right? He's just saying, look at all that God has done. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where none of that stuff happens. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his method of doing it might have changed, but the principles remain. God is a generous God, and we're made in his image. We want to be a generous people. And you are a generous people. I love that about you. But we all have to walk through our money with biblically informed hearts and minds. And that's why I'm not telling you what you should do. I'm laying a principle out there that God needs to be first in your life and that includes your finances.